0: Welcome to Cine Podcast. My name is Johnny Shank, and I am the Curation Lead of CINDEPENDENT of FILM FESTIVAL. I am tired, uh, but I'm very happy. The 2023 CINDEPENDENT FILM FESTIVAL is in the books, and I can say that this weekend was truly one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> uh, joining me now to talk about uh, this weekend of the festival our syndependent curator and filmmaker liaison TJ Paloquin and the director of the 2023 Syndependent Award nominated short film Goodbye Tallahassee. I hope you understand Bretton Miller. Hello. How, how are you guys doing? <laughs> doing great. Thanks for
1: having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for yeah. the invite. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah. How are you uh how are you holding up um after this weekend? I know I I'll just say for um for our listeners, we are on Zoom, so um, TJ and I are in Cincinnati, but I understand, Breton, that you are already now in New York.
1: Yeah, I'm in New York for the, the New York Film Festival. Uh, I have a friend who got me into some screenings, and you know, I thought after this sort of big festival run ending with independent I thought I should treat myself to a little uh, New York vacation. <laughs>
0: Incredible. Yeah. So what I thought we could do is just kind of go day by day through the festival and, you know, share kind of our behind the scenes festival team perspective on how things went. And then really excited that you're joining us, Bretton, to kind of share your filmmaker perspective on the weekend. So to jump in, things kicked off for the festival on Thursday. Um, we were rolling in, setting up, um, loading into Memorial hall. And then in the evening we got to have a little filmmaker, uh, welcome party at Lost and Found in OTR. Were you, were you around on Thursday, Breton? Or when did you kind of get to the festival and, and get into the uh, Sindependent mode?
1: So the plan was uh, that we were going to do Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. And by we, I mean, I have a, a small little film company in Cincinnati and my co-partner, Pierce Ryan, who was also a uh, filmmaker at Sindependent who got one of his films in, uh, mm-hmm. Suzanne. Um uh, mm-hmm. He was going to be flying in from Tallahassee and we were going to go see the part see the film, do the after party. Um, And then his flight, which was supposed to land at one thirty, was supposed to land now at three thirty. And then it was supposed to land at four thirty and then it landed at six. And then traffic was awful and Pierce was unable to get even to our place until so late that we had to essentially start our independent uh, early 10 a.m friday morning
0: gotcha so when did you get into the hotel
1: we got into the hotel uh on friday because i i the 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 nights that were booked were for the night of the 29th and the night of the first
0: gotcha yeah okay well so we'll jump in with you on friday but how was your um thursday um specifically thursday evening experience uh tj
2: yeah. Um, so I didn't help with the load and I had to work Thursday, unfortunately, but the right. evening, um, we hosted the kind of filmmaker welcome party at Lost and Found. Um, and I think just from the beginning of that, I knew it would be an incredible weekend because everyone mm-hmm. was like so happy to be there. Um, there was so much energy in the room um from the filmmakers and they were just excited for what would unfold over the weekend. Mm -hmm. jumping it like a bit ahead, not, not too far, but the filmmakers later formed great connections with each other. And that kind of started to happen at lost and found where it's like, I'm here from Seattle with this film and, and meeting Mm -hmm. someone from a different part of the country with their film. And I could already tell that it was going to unfold in an amazing way. um, Just from like a social perspective with the filmmakers, Mm -hmm. because them them just being so excited to share their work we were so excited to host them. And yeah, we also had yeah. Yeah, the Real Culture Queens doing a podcast. Oh, true. Yeah. Time, live, like super
0: cool. Live on video. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I think and that interviewed um, screenwriters and the filmmakers that were there. So I think that was cool, too. Like from the get go, they were being interviewed and things like that. And yeah. it was just great vibes on Thursday night. It was super fun.
0: It really was. Yeah. Were there any um filmmaker interactions that stood out for you that that opening evening? I can share a few of my own as well. Yeah.
2: There were a number. I mean, um the Josh Nowak from A Night Cafe was there mm-hmm. uh, with his partner and he was sharing some awesome stories about some of the actors in that film. Yeah. Dean Jones <laughs> and Keith Michael Richards, I think, That's who right. have been in uh things like No Country for Old Men. For Gene Jones and Uncut Gems for for Richard, so oh, wow. he was sharing some mm-hmm. some cool like behind the scenes stories. But well, I he was say... talking about how
0: Keith Michael Richards had like a serious blood clot on the set of uh,
2: yeah uh, this film,
0: and they had to yeah. take him to the hospital.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I would say like once. That was like Thursday night, the connections were starting to be formed. And then maybe the other days and the after parties were some of the better stories because people kind of knew each other more. But yeah, Mm. it was a a great way to kick off the festival.
0: Yeah, I would say I think the first person I talked to there was Kurt Silva, uh, the director of Resonance. And that ended up being the final film of the festival on in the off-filter shorts, which was actually the block that Breton was in as well. And he was super cool all weekend, Um, really enjoyed connecting with him. But that's sort of like, I was like, OK, we're in, you know, like we've been watching these films as curators. We've been excited about them. And then all of a sudden, like everyone's there in the flesh. It was a crazy feeling. Then I met uh, Mia Grimes, who was the director, one of the co-directors of Life in Tandem, the um uh, canoe, interpretive canoe dancing um documentary that took on a really sentimental emotional turn and i remember telling her just when i met her like how powerful her documentary was and that people you know like the audience was going to be in tears the next evening and then they were you know like but it was just such a rush to to finally start putting faces to the names and actually getting to have this um experience also uh tom you mentioned the folks from seattle um tommy meisel and Harley Sullivan from uh, yeah. When the Man Comes Around. When the Man Comes Around. were so yeah. cool. Yeah, I was just, I mean, I don't know what I expected, but everybody was just so nice. And um, Yeah.
2: Just
0: yeah. immediately the, the it felt so comfortable. And,
2: yeah. Yeah. The casting crew of books, too, have, were rolling deep throughout the festival. And they were there Thursday night. Um, and they were just so energetic, too, and so great to interact with. And you yeah. asked about like stories or tidbits and one thing i thought of just now is um the hotel that all the filmmakers were staying in the uh, hilton netherland plaza about a third of booked was filmed there uh including like the oh, very first day yeah. of shooting and so they were saying it was kind of a big especially at the after party at the hilton they were saying it was a huge like full circle moment they started the process when they were in college showing up at this hotel with people maybe they didn't know super well to start this film and then it's in the festival and they're staying at the hotel. So that that's amazing. Cool story.
0: Yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, I think I was like the most starstruck by the booked cast. They I don't even <laughs> know, somehow they had like the most movie star energy or something. So they I saw them on that first night, but I was like too nervous initially to talk to them, <laughs> <laughs> but I eventually yeah. talked to them and they were super cool. So so that was Thursday night, and then let's jump into Friday. So let's go back to Breton. How did how did Friday go for you, and what was your Friday? Any highlights or lowlights that stand out for you from uh, Friday at the festival?
1: No, Friday was a gr- was was great. We started again like early 10 a.m. with the 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 special curated international shorts mm-hmm. uh, from I think it was UC students that uh, curated them.
0: UC, yeah, like- Spira Cooperative in Quebec, and Michael Gott from UC led that. Yeah, exactly.
1: And there were some wonderful shorts there. And I think that was a nice sort of like, I don't know if kick is the right word, but like a nice little just boost for everything else, because Mm. it it was sort of being able to see what these students are able to find, what these students like, uh, really getting to understand the curation process and the actual short films themselves. And then that transitioned into the actual festival, which then made us understand the whole independent idea the whole vibe of it mm. even more closely because now curation is always on the mind at least for me curation mm. was something that I kept thinking about I was like oh that's interesting okay this film was but it had this yeah. especially because and this is jumping a little ahead mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Saturday as well cool, yeah. yeah but all the blocks had this wonderful theme to them mm-hmm. in such like detailed ways as well like obviously there's ones where it's like oh these are sort of family collected shorts, or these are shorts Mm -hmm. based around um, important issues in America. But at the same time, certain Mm -hmm. films would have certain things that would overlap into each other. Sometimes it'd be two films back to back who would have a similar, either a similar vibe or have similar moments, uh, or they would be split all the way apart. And it would feel like you're actually watching something that people actually programs. Like they didn't just Mm. select shorts and throw them into a, you know, a gumbo pot and then just say, okay, enjoy it. It felt, it felt very, uh, my words aren't doing me well today, but it. your words are great. Yeah. (laughs) Our words are all maybe great words.
0: I'm impressed that we have words at all today. So we're just true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, like you said, Johnny had one of the best weekends of my life, but I feel like a corpse right now or like a shell of my former self. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, Taking its toll but it's been great yeah
0: I, I I'm naturally an introvert and so I think this was the most social energy I've exerted over a short period of time probably in my life but I was Staying so happy here it's like a month's worth it. what's that it was
2: like a month's worth of social energy <laughs> crammed into a couple of days um but Brent <laughs> you're totally right about the uh the film blocks being programmed super well and that was all you Johnny you did such a great job kind of um with kind of putting themes together and things like that. And then just within the same block, the arc of of the programming, like a lot of times the shorter ones are at the beginning, longer ones at the end, uh, mm-hmm. comedy mixed through. So I really enjoyed like the journey that the f- each film block took the viewer on. That's awesome.
0: And I want to shout out Breton here because you're doing curation at the Garfield Theater in downtown Cincinnati. So this is something that you're thinking about too. And you guys, uh, you and Pierce- uh, have been working with Tim Swallow and our, our friends over there at the Garfield. Um, so I'm sure that's something you've thought a lot about.
1: Oh, 100%. And, uh,
0: yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm curious about any of your thoughts about like putting blocks together, like what that process is like.
1: So that that's the thing is that I think if you asked like a random person on the street, they'd be like, oh, you just pick shorts that you like and then bada bing, bada boom. But it it's, mm-hmm. it's really is a really good talent in that we've done two of these shorts short curations at the Garfield so far and when we did our first one we Pierce and I loved all the short films and we were excited and we had sort of a theme about nature but there were a lot of moments where just like the order of the films, some films that we really liked would not, were not as loved because of how they were placed, some films that we were a little worried about were more liked because of where they were placed and it sort of created a mixed bag and then we redid that first volume with a different order and immediately people were Like The the positive responses were even higher. And then Mm -hmm. when we did our second curation uh, of shorts, we sort of knew what the audience was going for. We sort of knew what we wanted as programmers and what we thought that the audience would like the most. Mm -hmm. And it's really like you just never know. You think a film's going to play super well, and then it doesn't. Or you think a film's not going to play well, and then it just explodes. Uh, It really is like a special... Um, I want to
0: on that on that topic I just want to like make a comment on that certain films watching them on a computer versus watching them on the the screen at Memorial Hall hit very differently so that was so fascinating to you know because you plan and you put the block together and you hope it's kind of like flow and and work and you know you kind of want to like hit hard bring people in right out of the gate and then maybe like take them to a deeper emotional place and kind of go go deep and then have a release at the end so you know you'll come out feeling okay (laughs) that's generally the goal but there were certain ones where yeah it felt different on the big screen one that really stands out to me was i didn't mean to say i love you um i don't know if either of you guys were in the theater for that one but that was like such a huge reaction in the theater where i like i wasn't prepared for how like energized like how much that was going to connect with the crowd so that was so fun to see i don't know if they're like, PJ, if you had any other ones that stood out to you of like watching them in the creation process versus watching them on the big screen?
2: Yeah. Um, That's a good question. I'm bummed I missed. Uh, I didn't mean to say I love you because I loved that, that one. That was one during the creation. And I process. wanted to
0: say that was one that you kind of like brought out and really championed in the process. And then getting to play the film and have uh, Jenna and her husband there and like part of the weekend was so cool. So um, thank yeah. you for bringing that one. Really to the festival. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Jen and Jake were so cool. And I was totally like geeking out to them because it was the first film that I queued up when you asked me to be part of the curation team. I was like, all right, oh, let's man. see what these films are all about. <laughs> and the first one yeah. blew me away. Cracking up is such a funny film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the question about it being different on the big screen, I was like seeking out the ones that I hadn't seen during the curation process. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, but there were a couple that I saw both times. I guess one, um, there's not one I can think of, but one I hadn't seen yet that was just mm. amazing on the big screen was the orchestra that Chuck built, um, just agree, because of the musical components. That one just felt big on the big screen. It was a big story, big band, and that one just blew me away.
1: Especially, yeah. I think, putting that like right at the end, that felt like, not just for the film itself, but it felt like an emotional culmination of the entire um uh, block of shorts was with it was like it was just I loved that film that was one of my favorites of the whole fest honestly yeah that was really yeah great way to end the block super inspiring exactly yeah yeah Yeah. I think that one
0: I was so happy that it was submitted and that we got to have it I believe it won a festival in Colorado like the Mountain Film Festival or something actually oh wow um, Biz Young who was one of our curators and then who was able to join us for the uh, awards brunch uh, this morning this afternoon She had gone to that festival, which I think takes place in the same place that Telluride does, but it's like Mountain Film Festival and they do it during the summer and then Telluride is in the fall. And that had won best documentary there. So I was so, it was like a thrill to have it in our festival. Um, if I can just give a little like behind the scenes on that block, that was one that I kind of put my heart and soul into as a programmer because that was like the family block. And then I, that was, so this is jumping into Saturday. Uh, you know, the second day of the festival, uh, that was our afternoon block. And uh, I really wanted to take the opportunity to, um, I don't know, like give a tribute to my little nephew. And he was, he was there. He came with um, my brother and sister-in-law. What was funny about that was that they brought their whole family, including their two you know, like younger twins. And then halfway through actually right during Pierce's short, they kind of yeah. lost their minds. Um, <laughs> so during that. Suzanne, it was like, they got, they made it about 45 minutes into the block, which honestly was like about as far as I thought they might be able to, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I wanted to have something for kids, but I was still, I was like, it's hard for like younger kids to like make it through that kind of experience. So I was glad they made it that far. And then I felt bad for Pierce that like, there were screaming children in the background of his.
1: <laughs> honestly, because Pierce and I were talking about, it, it was kind of funny because they started screaming around the same time like by the time the bus in the film rolls up and that was and a dramatic moment i
0: i don't think they could cuz they love buses and they love like car like they were pointing out and shouting out all the cars that they saw on screen and the <laughs> bus just like broke them
1: yeah cuz then cuz then when you go in the bus it's all these screaming children so when you hear right you know in the in the theater it's sort of it's sort of connected <laughs> yeah
0: Maybe it added to the, the ambiance of the of the yeah. theater. <laughs>
1: Just, yeah, three, well, six, when I, three sound. <laughs> yeah. When I yeah. heard
2: the the crying, I was like I had a weird reaction. I was like, oh yes, there's kids here. I'm glad they're getting able to see this awesome block because it's so dark <laughs> and <laughs> really know who's there. And yeah. and because yeah, that block was great for young kids, like every one of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was the goal. And then but what was cool was that the last two films in that one were um Brown Sugar and orchestra truck built which were kind of more geared towards like middle school high school age and so like my little nephews like pieced out and then those i feel like those last two kind of closed it out really strong and then i got to go out and and talk with pierce and some of the other filmmakers um which was like a real highlight something about stepping out on that memorial hall stage is uh it was a lot um it's such a (laughs) space that like um, I don't know if you guys saw, but I was definitely like shaking like a leaf when I came out and made my intro. But, you know, it was it was out of love and excitement.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. There was yeah. it didn't notice I didn't notice it at all, honestly. because mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw so many different people who would come up and you could tell if someone was sort of, you know, they didn't know what if they what they were doing or if you didn't know if they were doing what they were doing correctly, but honestly you felt so calm and charismatic it felt. Oh man. Yeah. See you didn't have to say a quick that. Quick question before. for you,
2: Johnny. <laughs> did you get a review from your family, your nephew and and the other kids of I the did. blog?
0: I did. I was happy. My brother said that my, my nephew was, was beaming and was very excited. <laughs> so I'm glad nice. he had his, his moment. And, you should you
2: know, get him on the pod.
0: We'll get him on the pod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe that can be a recurring theme at the festival. Um, I would love that. Yeah. Because um, it is important for kids to have films they can connect to and relate to uh, beyond just all the awesome stuff that we programmed for that was more adult themed um so okay so, uh oh i'll just i'll go right to you Bretton. yeah
1: well i ahead. just had one quick thing i wanted to bring up uh i know we're on saturday but i just wanted to go back to friday real quick yes. we are talking about mm-hmm. the on you know the on stage and Mori hall experience and one of the best yeah. parts about the festival is i think also seeing these filmmakers on stage like a lot like the booked cast, for example, was amazing to see on stage after the film and all the questions thrown at them. But I wanted to put like a specific attention on one film uh which was Black in America, which mm. was about um and Pratt. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. This very famous uh and very thoughtful and incredible uh and verbose uh pianist mm-hmm. who had like played for the Clinton administration, played for the Obamas. And it was when Pierce and I were there, we, you know, we were excited to see the director Q&A and I, I had to quickly leave to go to the restroom and I come back and I see him on stage. And like, Oh, I didn't realize he was here. Oh my God. Yeah. And there's this yeah. sort of almost wondrous feeling that you get seeing, uh, seeing him there. I thought, and he was like, yeah, I had a show in Nashville and this is like the one day I could have made it. So it was perfect timing. And I was like, this is such a lucky, beautiful thing uh, for everyone in the theater to to
0: uh yeah no beyond the booked cast i mean that was a different kind of starstruck when i saw him checking in i was blown away because i love that documentary so much and then to see him there i mean i think i think without a doubt he's probably the most impressive like accomplished person who was at the festival this weekend um (laughs) and uh yeah it was a huge honor that he was there and i got i mean i was just happy to get to thank him for for coming yeah yeah um that film was really powerful. But while we're back on Friday, I'd love to talk about your experience and your reflections on the opening night shorts program. One of my favorite memories was so we got through the initial kind of jitters and getting things off the ground, getting things off the ground on Friday morning, afternoon and starting to get into a flow. And then we got to build up to the real kind of red carpet everything you know no holds barred just going big and fancy with the seven o'clock opening night shorts The limo on, on the main hall yeah a personal highlight for me was just chilling with uh the, our beloved Jim Crooks and uh you Bretton and Pierce out on the out on the steps of Memorial Hall and just drinking a beer and watching everybody come in in the limo
1: no <laughs> we I'm, love, we I'm love that as well yeah
0: um what was your guys experience of that um that opening night block
1: so we uh we so we knew there was a dress code but we had gone on a long walk we had gotten a little bit of food we were just walking around the over the Rhine area so when we get there and like there's this beautiful red carpet and everyone is so dressed up and we were like in our sweaty clothes that we've been wearing since 10 a.m we were like Mm-hmm. we do we do not fit <laughs> but at the same time by the time we went in there and we started talking to people it felt like because there's the there's a difference between friday and saturday and that's when it's friday it was just it, there were still some kinks being hit out and you know people sure. were working so it wasn't the full audience and some filmmakers are just waiting a little later or just got in that day but by friday night It felt like it's independent had really just exploded in that moment. It felt like that was like, this is the festival. Yes, we've hit it. And Mm -hmm. obviously, I think that energy ran through all all of Saturday. Mm -hmm. We were unable to see a lot of the opening night shorts, but you were talking to us earlier about Night Cafe. Every single person I talked to at the festival was like, Night Cafe is so amazing. Oh, Night Cafe is incredible. Uh, yeah. that was the that was the first film of the opening night block as well. It was, I? yeah. It
0: it let off hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hit hard out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. And, was, and we can share, um, Josh Nowak won our best director award um this morning. Um and we love him. Yeah. It was really fun yeah. having him there. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: that really set the tone. That film is yeah. so cinematic. So having Allison give a great introduction. And then there's the kind of promo video, which I hadn't seen, which was super well done. Lights (laughs) dimmed down and then Mm -hmm. night cafe plays. It was like the energy in the theater was palpable. You're like, oh, it's showtime. This (laughs) festival is really getting going. Um, And yeah, it was exciting. And I think before um, the block even started, there was amazing energy in the filmmaker lounge. Like Everyone was so excited to see what was next. And mm-hmm. I think almost all of the filmmakers in that block were there. And so they True. just seemed excited to to see their work. People were asking them about the work that was about to be shown. And then having cocktails and everyone dressed to the nines just added mm-hmm. to it. So, yeah, amazing night and great way to kick it off.
0: Yeah. And uh, the Q&A afterwards was so cool, too. I was like so impressed by the films, but then I was so impressed by all the people on stage. They just kept giving like one after another like perfect, like succinct, funny responses to everything Allison in the crowd was asking them. I think it was, if I can recall, it was Josh from Night Cafe, Mia from Life in Tandem, Michelle from We Want A, and then
2: uh, Ingrid, um, Ingrid Wood, Ingrid, Ingrid, yes, um, yes, and, and they she were came all out kind of later up there, yeah. But yeah, all of their answers were insanely great. And I I had the same experience. I was like, how can each answer be better than the last? And like Mm -hmm. reveal so much about the creative process. And all those films were so different um, and all so great. So that was an amazing Q&A. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was like, after that night, it was like, wow, okay, it's happening. Like, it's actually, you know, this is something special that we have here. And then Saturday for me was... um, Sort of like, okay, we've, we're in it. We're, we're rolling. It's smooth. I was able to relax a little bit more, enjoy things a little bit more. Um, I'd love to build up to Breton's premiere, <laughs> um, that evening because that was maybe the most fun time I had all weekend with the off kilter shorts. But did you guys have any? Well, here's a question. Did you guys have any low lights or any moments of like, I don't know, stress, anxiety? i don't know whatever (laughs) during during the weekend yeah
1: i had one it was called the 15 minutes before my film started (laughs) 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 but but being but being serious uh the only real low light we had was honestly we were talking we're talking about how we're so tired right now we were two days into this festival pierce and i and we were obviously we wanted to keep going but we're like wow oh my god we've Been to festivals where we're not tired in the slightest, but we're already like, are feeling it. We feel like we're doing so much, even just in Memorial Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost started to wear us down in a bit. It, it was exciting, of course, yeah. But, no, yeah. Hey,
0: I, <laughs> I don't know what your experience of this was, TJ, but I feel like midday or like early evening Saturday, like some of us were kind of hitting a wall because it had been such a push and so much energy. And I was like, oh man, like. I need a break. I need a nap. I think I went downstairs and was just like, kind of regrouping. I then had a second wind and like getting to do the off kilter shorts with Breton and everybody was ended up being like, and then the after party and the rest of the night was so fun. But did you feel that at all, TJ? I think so. Yeah, I um, you I like your your thing. The- festival is. I feel like you set the tone. You set the mood, and like if anybody else is down, you're like,
2: oh no, we're good. But uh, but yeah. <laughs> well I'm I'm glad it seemed that way um but yeah I my experience was like Friday you ask about like low lights and stuff and mine was like um Friday I didn't like really make a plan for what to see or what to do so Mm -hmm. I felt like I was constantly like oh I want to see that film and it's over it just happened and I missed it so Saturday I was more kind of um forget the word but intentional about like what I wanted to see where I wanted to be when and I think Friday and I think a lot of people might have felt this at certain parts of the festival I had a little bit of like FOMO because I went to this workshop but because I went there I missed the film that was showing at the same time so there's just so many great things happening at at the same time all in the same building which is amazing but there's some sort of like Oh my God, I want to do it all, but I can't sort of, uh, anxiety that builds during parts of it. Exactly. Yeah. I
0: think I might've told you, like, I wish that we could, I mean, in a way I'm like, I'm just very happy that we did it and it was beautiful and good. So I'm like, I don't necessarily want to like rewind and do it again, but also, <laughs> yeah, also you I could do, have like, a million different versions. Another five or 10 times and like choose a different, like choose your own adventure through the festival. It's yeah. Pretty- so for
2: sure up. based on your uh, your previous question about um like if there was an energy lull, i think saturday i came back and then everyone was sort of dragging the staff a little bit but mm-hmm. then um, citizen sleuth that showing and that q a afterwards which was really powerful that like brought everyone back and then the after party seemed electric to me just because I think that film re-energized, uh, at least our team who was a little bit tired from the 48 hours previous. Yeah. That's cool that you had that experience
0: in the main hall with, um, Citizen Sleuth.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're down in the ballroom with the off-kilter shorts and that was like just a very cozy, like fun, friendly to me environment. I know Breton was, uh,
1: no, no. I mean, honestly, it I mean, one, of, getting one of my worries was because I know that uh, the off-kilter shorts were paired up with Susan Sleuth, which was this big documentary out of South by Southwest. And I was like, oh, I know it's going to happen. It's going to be like the off-kilter shorts, like maybe 15 people will show up and everyone's going to go to Susan Sleuth. But instead what happened was like the entire theater filled up so much so that like for the first 15 minutes uh, doing uh, during a uh, the first film, Who's Annie? Like chairs were just constantly being brought in for more and more people. It was just like this wonderful room that was just so excited to see all these different unique shorts. Uh, And what I liked about the off-kilter is that it's not just, you know, not even like genre stuff. It it, it just goes into all these different weird directions. Again, talking about Who's Annie, uh, I loved that film. And I'm so uh, so happy that uh, it won the off-kilter award. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of like this almost Charlie Kaufman esque like descent into Metanus, where you get these little funny little bits where you see her in these real projects and the Burger Queen commercial. Uh, and then from there, once the director is like, I'm going to cast her and then I'm going to cast an actress to be myself, this beautiful just succession of issues and comedic bits just start unfolding and it's so fun it was just such a fun film and a great way to start the the whole final night off with honestly
0: yeah that i do feel like i was telling people every block and like multiple times a day like oh this is one of my favorites you have to see it you know mm-hmm. but that was one where i was like really excited about who's and then who's went right into goodbye tallahassee which yeah. i felt like was thematically and content and energy wise like a, a good transition um, oh
1: 100 because, because
0: i understand that you were outside the room during your film is that right
1: so this is not this is not like a this is not a like um a first time thing i i have the same kind of fear that other directors have actors have i know adam driver once was like i don't watch the films i watch because just- every time you watch it you go, you don't think, oh, what a great achievement. You go, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, I could have done that better. There was a famous Orson Welles interview where this would have been like 40 years after Susan Kane. And the interviewer was like, so uh, when was the last time you saw Susan Kane? Orson Welles was like, probably in the theater when it first opened. And mm-hmm. the interview was like, well, why? And, you know, Susan Cain is cl- considered classically to be considered one of the greatest films of all time. And Orson Wells even was like, yeah, if I watched it, I would just think how I made every wrong decision. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just that kind of thing as an artist. You're 50 percent narcissism and then 50 percent crippling self-doubt. <laughs> um, so I did I did leave. But when I when I came back, Pierce was telling me about how it had such a great reaction. And especially at the awards uh, awards brunch today. Apparently, there are a lot of uh, GBT fans um, there. So it it really was special having that play.
0: Yeah. No, you mentioned the Adam Driver thing. And I know there's like a famous interview with him on um, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, where she always plays clips from the films and performances and everything for her guests and makes them listen to them. And he (laughs) famously walked out of the studio because he couldn't handle it. (laughs) When like playing back a Star Wars clip or something like that. yeah that's it's real for sure it's real yeah 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 that was that was such a cool we had a uh, margaret swallow down in in our um love her yeah in the ballroom and she's so charming and cool um she's runs the cincinnati world cinema with tim swallow so margaret was down in the off-filter shorts and then tim was up um with uh citizen sleuth um but um yeah really really cool way to cap off the night uh did you have any other thoughts about saturday in a closing closing
2: night? DJ? So I got to see a lot more films Saturday than Friday, which was great. So I saw the full 1pm block, which was the um, kind of children friendly one that we were talking about earlier. And then I saw the 3pm block, um, which was two shorts and then booked. Um, And then I caught, I think I said the end of Citizen Sleuth uh, towards the end of the night. But um, one highlight for me was booked just because it's a local film. And a lot of the cast and crew was there. And then what seemed like a lot of their friends and family were there, too, um, because the film takes place in Mason, Ohio, um, which is a big high school in the area. And then they made it during their last semester of college at CCM at UC. Mm -hmm. Um, So that I really felt like a big like hometown celebration lap um, for something that they all made together. That was just so great and perfect film to see with a big audience because it's super funny and a lot of laughs throughout it and just a great great movie um I honestly can't believe that they made it in college on weekends and evenings and stuff because it is so so great so that was definitely a highlight for me
1: especially Mm -hmm. because in the Q&A they were talking about how for all of them this was like their first film like this was They wrote this all together It was the first film they've written together. The director was the first film they ever directed, whether it be short or feature. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it really it, it really does feel like a beautiful sort of indie community project in a way that, you know, it doesn't feel narcissistic. It feels like everyone had a part. Everyone's having fun. All the actors are having fun. It was just such a wonderful, especially in the middle of Saturday. It was just such a wonderful experience.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, they're CCM students. They're obviously incredible actors. And that's one of the finest um, musical theater programs in the country. But it was so well shot. And the sound recording and everything was so professional. That's what really impressed me. As a first-time project, I don't know how... It would have been one thing if they had just written, like, a sharp screenplay. But they produced it all so so professionally, um, which really impressed me. And I'm... i I mean, everyone who I got, all the filmmakers who I got to meet this weekend, I just kept telling people, like, don't stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> We want to see your next project. Breton, we want to see your next project.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're, you're doing... Definitely. Yeah, everybody at the festival is doing One something.
2: quick uh, book tidbit, too, that I learned from the editing team at one of the after parties is they... Uh, so I guess they no one had made a feature film on their team and there were two editors and the director so they were editing it in chunks sending each other files and I guess the computers that they were using were not used to kind of editing that much footage and that much power so they were overheating so I guess they had ice packs (laughs) during every editing session like under and next to the laptop or computer whatever they were using and to me that was like a perfect metaphor for like indie filmmaking is like there's these crazy hurdles that you have to go through that brings everyone together and creates bonds. But then a lot of times you don't even see the seams because the final product is so amazing. Um, yeah. So hearing about some of those hurdles was cool.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I want to thank you guys for powering through to to record and talk today. Uh, do we have now Breton wasn't able to be there this morning, but um, maybe TJ and I, If we have any kind of final thoughts about the awards brunch today, this morning and afternoon at Queen City Radio, I'll just say throughout the weekend, I kept being surprised. I kept kind of going in being like, well, I don't know how many people are going to show up. I don't know what the energy is going to be like. You know, I'm not going to get my hopes up or anything like that. And then just time and time again, I was surprised by like we had booked, we had set up. um Presenters from all across the film community in Cincinnati, from World Cinema, Esquire, and Marymont, uh, NKU, uh, Hayman Talent Agency, past filmmakers from Cine independent. Like we were asking all these people to come out and ask if they would present awards, and I was really expecting that at least if you would be like, oh, we can't make it, or you know, or just wouldn't show up, and we wouldn't know why or whatever. But everybody came. and Everybody was there. And so many of the filmmakers were able to stick around. And, and even the ones who weren't able to be there, most of them were able to send messages or communicate in some way. So it, to me, it was such a like lovely way to to cap off the weekend. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had any any thoughts about this morning as well,
2: PJ. Yeah, no, I agree. I was so... Uh, so glad to see everyone and surprised that everyone was there after it was really day four. Cause a lot of them were at the Thursday night party. Right. And um, so yeah, having like everyone there and having a big crowd when these awards were being given out was really cool. And then just members of the community and past winners of Syndependent Awards, giving out the awards was super cool too. And really it just felt like the culmination of this festival that, came back after four years, it's my first year being involved, and I was blown away. And it just seemed to me like this community just keeps getting stronger in Cincinnati. And it seemed like a ton of momentum being created with this festival for future years. And like every filmmaker I talked to said that they can't wait to come back and submit their next work. And there's a lot of talk about just how independent is so filmmaker focused and filmmaker friendly. And I think everyone had just such an amazing time so kind of it was the perfect ribbon i would say on a great weekend it's beautiful and And also you gave a rousing speech to kick it off um i wanted to like charge into battle because it was all about how like you can't quit making stuff um you might think back on this when you're in a creative lull and as like an artist myself that was very inspiring
0: oh man yeah i got i got
2: inspired i wanted to I felt like
0: there's rare moments in life where you get to really share love with some, I don't know. I think they're, they get a little existential. I think that (laughs) life sucks a lot of the time, but there is like love and goodness and I don't know all that stuff at the core. And the moments like this weekend where you get to just like share that, like it's kind of a love fest this weekend are a real gift. So I think all of us as a team, you know, that was really our mindset of we just want to share appreciation and love for these filmmakers and encouragement. And so getting to do that one last time this morning was like such a a privilege. So, um, Bretton, we missed you.
3: Sorry.
1: (laughs) I wanted to be, but I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Been a a, a little vacation journey in New York.
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah. I have Miyazaki waiting for me. (laughs) Jealous. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah they, um, uh, they pull apple pulled killers of the flower moon though that's not going to be there anymore right no but my friend who got me the free tickets he's also working on the i won't say their name cause i don't know if they want their name said but they're working on the oscar campaigns for bullying the heron the new miyazaki and killers of the flower moon uh the scorsese so and i know that just had its near york premiere so who knows maybe maybe while i'm here I'll be able to uh, sneak in a little secret Scorsese screening. Who knows?
2: That's amazing. And we should mention, too, Gene Jones, uh, nominated for Best Actor in the uh, Syndependent Awards for Night Cafe, uh, is in Killers of the Flower Moon. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in that this month. And he was shouted out by the nomination was shouted out by Apple, right? That's what, uh, that's what Josh told me. Yeah. He said it was like on their Instagram story, um, us independent awards nominee for, uh, for Freya yeah, Jean. That's right. That's right. We love to see it. So the second half of this podcast, I'm going to jump into
0: an interview with Justin Zuckerman, who's the director of yelling fire in an empty theater. So just to end our recording here time, um, Brett and I know that you, I don't think either of you guys have had a chance to see the film but I know that you have a connection at Florida state um, film program and you've been in touch with um, him and the producer of yellow fire. Yes. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about like the Florida state film program or these guys and what they're doing. Um, we're going to be showing that at the Woodward theater tomorrow. So film continues in Cincinnati and by tomorrow, I guess at the time of release that is tonight, Monday night. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll say that uh, at Florida state university is a, a great uh film school. It's very small and community focused. Only thirty people get in per year per class, and it really teaches you how to make films in every way. It's not just oh you can be a director, you can be a writer. You really get to learn every single step to filmmaking. And I think that uh, I've not I've only seen the trailer for Yelling Fire. I've seen also Ryan Brown the producer's film Free Time, but both of those films what they share in common is this low budget almost 90s-esque indie film sensibility of not having a ton to work with but using what the tools they have to create something really special and we don't really especially again that was a very 90s early 2000s thing we don't really see that a lot in independent cinema now now a lot of it is needing that money so they can create gorgeous images instead of uh, creating films that are small and mean a lot so <laughs> it is- special film. So I think everybody
0: will enjoy um, hearing Justin's thoughts about it. And I hope people will come out to the screening. We do uh, on the topic of upcoming screenings, just want to shout out that we will be showing Best of Fest uh, short films, as well as Booked and Citizen Sleuth, the two features from the festival at the uh, Garfield. So kind of working together with Breton and, you know, our mutual friend, The Swallows. Tim's
1: very excited for it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we'll get to share those again with with the community. Um, That's coming up over the next month. So you can look that up on, you know, syndependent.org or also on Cincinnati World Cinema. Uh, We will also be screening Sheltered. I think the date is still TBD, that one best Ohio short film, and is a really special, incredible film. Um, Had a really special time connecting with Ben Avery as well, the director of that film this weekend. That's going to screen at the
2: Esquire tbd on the date yeah and hannah the editor was there too and they were just amazing people to talk to um and so glad that their their film was
1: included in our festival because that is a a great great piece of art it really is it's a especially yeah it's so it yeah it's such a beautiful film as well uh both in the story and its visuals and it's a little if i'm correct uh it's a web it's like a web series that then they put into one full short film
0: Right. Which came out around 50 minutes. I think it was a five part web series, but it plays really well as kind of a, I mean, almost a feature. Um, but yeah. right we, you know, um, that short film, we, ca- we categorize it as a short film, but it really can hold its own as a feature film as well. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll close our recording out here. We'll go to my conversation with Justin Zuckerman, but thank you guys so much for coming on, on a, a worn out sunday afternoon uh the hmm. bangles have let us down but uh <laughs> the festival did not let us down so thank you guys again yeah no
1: of course thank, thank you here. so much
3: yeah.
0: happy to be joined by the writer and director of a true indie gem Yelling Fire in an Empty Theater, which we'll be screening tonight at the Woodward Theater, Justin Zuckerman, Justin, thanks for coming on the
3: show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for screening our movie.
0: We're super excited. Uh, it's going to be a fun evening at the Woodward. In the IMDb synopsis for your film, uh, your film is described as a, quote, mini DV curio. I looked up definition for curio, Curio is uh, defined as a rare, unusual, or intriguing object. So I'm curious if you like the description of this film as a curio. I think the first thing that hits people is the format, and you're, you know, you're sort of settling into, oh, okay, this this is mini DV. It it brings you to mind of, you know, home video uh, projects, you know things, it's, it's sort of like an immediacy to it. So how do you think about the significance of the format of your film to the essence of the film itself? Do you think that they are connected or would this film be the same on any format?
3: Yeah, I, that's a great question. I absolutely think that the to an extent, the medium is the message here and that the film would not be what it is without it being on mini DV. Uh, I wanted to make this on mini DV from like right when I had the idea. To me, it is, I want it to be reflective of kind of a home movie, something that was intimate and that felt kind of timeless. And mm-hmm. that would, I guess, I don't. to me, from the people I've spoken to, Mini-DV just stirs up automatically emotions in people who see it and it takes them to kind of a certain time and place in their lives and for a lot of people that usually is within like your formative years or something and for the main character to me this was kind of her really experience like adult experiencing adulthood for the first time and growing up and uh i felt that if the main character were to make a movie about her life she would make it on mini dv she would do it kind of in her own way in a way that was Um, kind of against what you're normally supposed to do and doing it through, uh, you know, independent means. And aside from that, I also love Mini-DV just from an aesthetic and production standpoint too. So I love everything about it. And I I think that it had so many benefits on so many levels that uh, I would love to continue making movies in this fashion.
0: Yeah, I think when the film starts, for me, it was the first thing that jumped out. And it's sort of a adjustment process to to like you're thinking about it. And it's sort of like in your face, the format. But then at a certain point, it I was, for one, involved in, you know, got involved in the story, got emotionally engaged. And then it almost flipped into bringing me deeper into the story. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah,
3: I do. Uh, I hope uh, when I watch it, sometimes I feel like when the first frame comes on it's very kind of jarring because you're not expecting a look like that and then as it goes on it hopefully almost melts away and you're simply just enjoying the story and it's not uh so obvious i guess that it's still mini db but instead it's just part of the film and the world yeah another
0: interesting juxtaposition that i experienced with it was it brought to mind like you're saying kind of uh a certain era or a certain like a nostalgia uh, for I, I guess that i associate mini tv with like the mid 2000s or early 2000s did you ever think about making it a period piece that era or cuz to me it almost i was like oh okay i, I seeing this form on screen places me in like 2005 so mm-hmm. then to have that juxtaposed with oh we're talking about alexa and we're making modern references yeah uh, i did, was yeah, very I
3: I was very purposeful in including modern references. I wanted it to, I like when movies are of, I guess, the time that they're made. And they are, as I was saying, kind of like the mini DV to me, it both harkens back to a specific time and there's somewhat of a timelessness to it. But then I wanted to include very specific of the moment references to show you that this is a movie that in a sense it could be happening at any time but it's also happening at this very specific time and i hope that in you know if someone were to watch it in 10 or 20 years it'd be like oh it it is almost dated in this way and it goes to this is 2019 now and um i like the juxtaposition of those two we're in today but we're using a format that harkens back to another time and i mm-hmm. i enjoy when movies are like very like i love seeing like a mumblecore movie when someone has like a flip phone or something like that it just it enhances the experience instead of trying to either hide technology and trying it to be like really trying to make it timeless or doing a period piece, I think would have been like false in a way that it Mm. wouldn't have fit right.
0: Yeah. I think something that potentially the mini TV approach lends to you as well is the ability to just go anywhere and film anywhere. So um, there's a scene in Times Square. um, There's various scenes out in you know the store or whatever on the street did you have any kind of setups or were you kind of you know were you able to just almost like
3: indiscreetly
0: be filming your movie while life was just going on around you
3: yeah that was one of the biggest production benefits of shooting on mini dv in which i really try to take advantage of our first scene takes place at jfk airport and we Mm -hmm. were terrified that we'd get in trouble or kicked out because we didn't have um you know We were just like filming a movie, but it was just me with the actors and a mini DV camcorder. And then you can kind of see Ryan, who's the producer and also an actor later in the movie. He's in the background with headphones on and like a a tote bag next to him. And in that tote bag is a recorder recording the wireless mics that the actors have on. Interesting. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just we live in a day and age where everyone is filming everything that if you have just because this is. My camera's over there, but it's literally like this is a a little home movie camcorder. It's not a prosumer camera. It's just a really tiny camcorder. And just nobody gives a crap about if you film anywhere. So we were very scared there. We were filming in our grocery store. But it was just me with a camera and then two people who who just looked like they were having a conversation. So we never ran into a single problem in that respect, which was we were not prepared for it to go as smoothly as it did which is a huge benefit. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I love also the juxtaposition of the home, you know, the home video sort of aesthetic that you have, but then what to me felt like a very thought out directed film with, you know, high level acting, high choice, just choices at every level. I, I think that it, again, there's sort of like a layering that. Yeah. That, 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 that it achieves. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We definitely like, we we had a, a full script we had a lot of rehearsals and uh with mini dv and that home movie aesthetic we were able to um i guess take advantage of anything we wanted we for example on a normal movie set you you set up lights and you set up a tripod and you film one direction of the room and then you have to break everything down and turn the room around and shoot that direction but we had there were zero lights there was no equipment there was no lens changes so we had our very rehearsed blocked kind of scenes but on any take i could go anywhere with the camera and we could we were able to do like dozens of takes per scene kind of and we had these very scripted rehearsed scenes but with that kind of like we could try so many different things with the camera to get what we wanted and we had two cameras because camcorders were so cheap we bought a second camera and we usually film with two cameras at the same time, which very few, you know, independent films of our scale are able to do that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a film filmmaker, uh, I know you went to film school at Florida State uh, and someone who considers these matters of film in in the films you make, but also just uh, as a, a film lover. How do you think about format? Like when you're watching a movie, at it's something that comes up on our show every now and then um, digital versus film. And, you know, we are in the, the year of, well, I guess it was the summer of Oppenheimer and Barbie, but now it feels like it's just maybe the year of Oppenheimer and Barbie. Um, And Christopher Nolan famously is really intense about shooting on film. How, How do you, what are your sort of thoughts about that debate? And where, where do you, how do you consider somebody like Christopher Nolan, who's so insistent on, you know, Everything must be shot on film.
3: Yeah, I think that's a a very good question, and it's something that I feel like I cared and I was more like of a stickler about it in the past. I think maybe even like maybe it was me making this movie that kind of changed my mind. But well, one reason why we chose mini DV also was I we could have shot this on a on a nicer camera. We probably could have even found in Ari like through friends and discounts and things like that, like a very nice cinema camera. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, so many movies, especially, well, just so many movies in general, all look the same to me now. Yeah. And they are, there's just kind of like this bland sameness through everything. So what I liked about using the mini DV was the, it was almost a shock of a different aesthetic. And mm-hmm. with like Christopher Nolan, I really like his movies and I like that he shoots on film. And I, I like Paul Thomas Anderson that he shoots on film. But I also love the movie Her, which is a by Spike Jones, which is a very digital kind of thing. And a lot of David Fincher's things are also very digital. And yeah. um, like so I didn't care much for like even Barbie and Oppenheimer specifically. I did find I enjoyed looking at Oppenheimer actually more than Barbie. Barbie had very nice yeah. sets, but there was something about the cinematography that didn't oh, mm-hmm. oh. My Alexa just heard me talking for some reason. It responded to me. That ties in well to your film as well. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes That's a big people... theme.
0: There's a big theme yeah. on Letterboxd about love the movie, but all those Alexa prompts were yeah. setting my phone off.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a South Park episode where um, the characters are just constantly talking to their devices, and the goal is to upset the viewers at home. And I didn't really have that in mind, but it's like a funny. It's become a
0: little subcurrent of, of the film. Yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I think that it's important I think for filmmakers to be specific about what they use, but more than anything to just try to make something that looks unique and interesting. And you can do that with digital or film, and you can also fail at that or just not, or, you know, not consider that as important for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I think there's also, uh, I was thinking of Steven Soderbergh, uh, like Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I think he, Uses some similar, or I've just read him talking about similar logic of you know you can set up anywhere you don't have to get permission to to shoot you can just kind of guerrilla style get around know, yeah. with your iPhone so I love the the relationship between matter and form um, also working with independent we get a lot of submissions that are you know can be excel in different ways they can excel from an acting standpoint or a screenplay standpoint or some you know sometimes the cinematography is excellent but the content is you know basically feels like you're just watching a car commercial or something you know it's like there isn't a lot of
3: yeah they really have to go together the kinds of things which is very hard but it can be very rewarding if you kind of do try to have everything uh you know uh simpatico you know working together Yeah. And so for me, watching your
0: film, it was just really exciting to see, Okay, a choice was made here, but the follow through was and the intentionality was so strong behind it that it really all comes together in a potent way. So um, thank you. Yeah. So that was uh, just uh, I I think I'm still kind of tossing around the idea of Curio in my head about um, (laughs) like. I think this movie would succeed in any format. And you. I think there's like two, two lanes of considering this film. You can consider it kind of in its relationship to the mumblecore genre and that sort of coming of age, you know, young people in New York stumbling through life um, genre discussion, or you can talk about the format. So maybe it'd be interesting to kind of dip into that second uh, conversation. On Letterboxd, uh, speaking of Letterboxd, I saw one person describe your film as, quote, evil Francis Ha.
3: Yeah, I really like uh, that. I did, <laughs> I was curious I what your Francis thoughts ha. are about that. Yeah, yeah I love that. Um, someone else, yeah, maybe it was even that same one, said it was like he compared it to like this generation's clerks, which I think that is a very oh, yeah. extremely kind uh, thing to say. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, Francis Ha was a huge, that yeah. and Mistress America were huge inspirations for America,
0: i feel like doesn't get brought up as much but there yeah yeah. i I was thinking about that movie a lot too yeah yeah
3: i think about mistress america when i first saw it i didn't care for it that much i didn't care for it that much but i thought about it and still think about it all the time and the more i think about it the more i like it and uh i've kind of been doing my own retrospective of bomb films here Mm. um but yeah i really appreciated that calling it evil francis ha and i Mm -hmm. can kind of see that i guess in that it Francis Ha, I think, is um, it's similar in that it's about a woman who's constant. It's just struggle after struggle of trying to mature and to like find her place, but with yeah. a what I would say is a a positive ending. And mine has can be seen as kind of a darker or more kind of vague and uh, upsetting ending. So I think that they kind of end up going in different directions. But yeah,
0: it is interesting though because I think both central characters do have kind of a resilience and a almost like effervescent quality where they're going through these uh, st- strange, unusual taxing experiences, but keeping their head above water. Um, yeah.
3: I think it's a big thing for me was that the character does have to exactly that keep their head above water and even, you know, I guess, yeah, keep their head above water and right, right, uh, right. stay <laughs> likable, stay positive, stay like uh, just a uh, Stephen, speaking of Steven Soderbergh, or no, I'm sorry. This isn't Steven Spielberg. This is Sam Raimi, who okay. um, I heard once say, say that, like, have characters that people love and then torture them. And I think that's, like, a really good idea for a film like this, is that, like, have a character who is likable and who is positive and then, like, kind of make them go through hell a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that was achieved uh, pretty uh, effectively. In... In the film, um, it's it's definitely in the genre of New York films, like we're talking about Mistress America, Frances Ha, and kind of the inciting theme of the movie is this character is just opening herself up to having a a New York experience, you know, sort of like a, it seems like she comes in kind of a whimsical idea about big city life, and she's just going to open herself up to see what happens. And then things happen, but not in a sort of like the whimsical, fanciful way that you might hope. It's more just Character friction and circumstances running up against each other. I'm curious what your relationship is to the quote unquote New York experience, and if you had like if you related to the character and kind of ideas about the big city versus what you know what it's like in real life.
3: Yeah, I never. I like I. So I moved to New York in 2019 at the beginning of the year, and we filmed this in October, November of 2019. And I I loved New York, especially that year before the pandemic uh, and I had a really great time, but I was also, I moved to New York, like Lisa, the main character with this uh, emotional kind of mental baggage of what, like assumption of what New York was. And if I went to New York and became a, you know, quote unquote, New Yorker, what that would mean and how I would change and be part of this very historyed, storied kind of town. Mm-hmm. And then as I live there and I've lived in a few places um, to re- to realize and to learn over and over again that a town is just a place full of people and that it's what you make of it and that the, mm-hmm. you're not going to change simply by being in a new place. And so you can't really rely on moving to a new place to make you into a new person as much as you might want to you know, do that. Or you yeah. might want to live in the 1960s New York of the Velvet Underground or the early 2000s New York of the mumblecore movement or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We showed at the Woodward
0: recently, we showed meet me in the bathroom, which was about the Mm -hmm. early two thousands indie alternative music scene. And it, it paints kind of that romantic idea of like uh, creative inspiration. Yeah. And and that stuff is really, yeah, yeah, it's really
3: seductive, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I really liked the, just a little scene, a little comment early in the film where, uh, I believe it, it was at Central Park, the park that the mm-hmm. main character and her boyfriend go. In? Okay. Yeah. And she says something like, I think I'm going to come here all the time, you know, um, yeah. which to, I don't know. I related to that in terms of, you know, we're here in Cincinnati um, now with with the festival. And but I before I moved here, I lived in Philadelphia and went to college there. And I relate to the idea of wanting to feel a part of the city, or I had certain rituals or routines. It's like, if I go to this coffee shop, if I go to this park, or, you know, then that'll help me feel connected. That'll help me feel like I'm actually a part of this thing. But sometimes it's hard. It's like, am I a part of this? Or am I just floating through it? You know? Yeah. I thought you captured that really well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I tried to kind of even with, um, like, a relationship with places like Times Square, as well, and other kind of things. And these, like, The idea of a character going to Central Park like all the time is something that you might have if you visit New York or if you first move there, but that's likely not going to happen, especially if you live in Brooklyn, which is far away uh, relatively. Um, And kind of the, you know, this guy who she's, her boyfriend in that scene has been Mm -hmm. there for a while and has been there, I think he says like twice or something like that. And it's, you, I think it's valuable to live life like a tourist, but it's very hard and people kind of forget that or um don't value it.
0: Yeah. You know, that actually reminded me of um a movie that I saw earlier this year, Past Lives. Uh, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen it is... but I've heard oh, a lot yeah. about it. Yeah, it's another one there's some definite overlap with the sensibility and kind of the character journeys. Um but there there's a scene in that film where um this character who's lived in New York for like a decade goes to take the um, Staten Island ferry and and see the Statue of Liberty and stuff for the first time, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's never, it's never, yeah, you know. But when you're going there for the first time, or you're a tourist, you're like, oh, the, you know, you gotta go. Like that's the New York thing.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. And people, I feel like if you if you do go to a new place, people locals will normally like tell you don't do that kind of thing. But I think there's value in seeing the Statue of Liberty. Or I live in Washington D.C. now, and I regularly regularly go to like the National Mall just because it's a fun thing to do.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting that you have sort of the idealistic, you know, central character, Lisa, who's who's sort of thinking about the city, finding her place and and her. Yeah, her motivation or her thought process is like, I should go to these places, do the quintessential New York things and like look it up online. Like, what do you do in New York or whatever? But then I feel like the people who make up this, the substance of the city, this is kind of just a broad thought about it is like her roommates who couldn't care less about like the New York of it all. right? You're just sort of going through their lives in a, their chaotic way, but they're the ones who really like give the texture and the feeling to the city. Um, yeah.
3: They and, are kind of yeah. the real New Yorkers in a way. And I even try, especially there's like a, a big vegan dinner scene. And uh, yeah. Lisa asks kind of everyone there like, what are like, what do you do here? and they whatever they say that they do is just you know she points out like you could do that anywhere though and they're like yeah but you know what else are you going to do in the place that you live but do what you would do anywhere else and that's kind of like a big moment for her where she realizes that you know moving to new york it might not be that special thing that she was hoping for if everyone kind of is just the same everywhere in a way yeah uh I and that's just some... a big theme yeah. kind of throughout the thing
0: yeah the relation between place and and people yeah, and yeah people and what what is it that yeah um yeah. i have a very you know um warm relationship with cincinnati i i hold this city very close to my heart but it's hard to really ever put a finger on what that really is <laughs> yeah i bet
3: yeah but that's yeah that's great and i'm i'm constantly searching for that maybe cincinnati is the place maybe Man. i gotta go there next
0: that's the, yep, I think, I think that, you know, Cincinnati is a place. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I've, I'd love to talk a little bit about your career uh, and your uh, journey in the filmmaking world. I've read that you've, your stint in, in Hollywood, um, working on film sets, generally left kind of a bad taste for you. a lot of kind of toxic energy. Um, yeah. Yeah sad, angry people that you were dealing with. Yeah, I'd be curious in kind of your reflections on that a little bit, but also when you look at that scene, you know, LA, people who are I I I read, you know, you referenced um having the opportunity to work on the family guy uh Mm -hmm. I guess team and sort of seeing that's even there in this really, you know, kind of a hollowed ground, people who were dissatisfied and all that. Let's start there. What was what was that like? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, it was really eye-opening, I guess, and I was mm-hmm. very disillusioned by the end of it, but I, like Lisa, the main character, I had just graduated from Florida State, and I went to mm-hmm. film school, and a week after graduation, I moved to L.A. uh, with the goal of becoming basically like a professional filmmaker or, you know, maybe a TV comedy writer or something like that, and I ended up getting these kind of cool jobs, I guess, on paper, but uh mostly as like an assistant to either a producer or director. And then these people just happened to be insane and like just really crazy, like bitter, toxic, Mm -hmm. very um, like ego obsessed kind of people who uh, just, it was like sour experience after sour experience. And I also, these jobs usually involved a lot of travel. So I would travel with these people and we'd go, I went to like, We went to arizona i went to kenya i went to romania Mm. and it was just an absolutely insane miserable time in these pretty cool places Mm -hmm. and um it kind of made me very much dislike the city and the people that uh i worked with i never wanted to be an assistant again and then i got a job as a production assistant on family guy which Mm -hmm. As someone who grew up really loving Family Guy, and it's a show that it's crazy. It's been on for like 20 years now or something. I was really excited to get a job there. Sure. Um, but then you start working there and you realize that all the people who started working there when they were in their 20s are still there and they're in their 40s. And it, it's mm-hmm. just a day job for them. And the, uh, you know, I was a PA and I was like, hopefully I can become a writer's assistant, then a writer. And I would look at the writer's assistants and there were three of them. And they had been there for 10 years. And they were, you know, already, like, divorced and, like, had, you know, were middle-aged almost. Right. And I was like, I'm not, I don't want to wait. I realized at that moment, I don't want to wait for someone to let me make something. I'm, I don't like that idea anymore. I just want to, my goal was to move out here to make stuff and to be creative. And I can't do that here under, what I feel like I couldn't do it under those conditions. So I moved yeah. to New York. And I had a lot of friends there. And I was just like, no matter what, by the end of this year, I'm going to make a movie. No matter what it takes to make a feature film, I don't want to make a short. I don't want to work for someone and make mm-hmm. a small thing. And hopefully someone will allow me to make something bigger. I just want to get some friends who are interested and down. And we'll just make something. And yeah. that was kind of my inspiration to do this. And uh, while I'll probably never live in L.A. again. Also, That's fascinating. Yeah. Is it almost
0: like I was just thinking of, you know, you work at a restaurant or something, or, and you're like, Oh, now that I've worked there, like I've never eat there again or something. Yeah. Kind of like that, I guess.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well, just seeing, yeah, yeah. how it's not like movies to me before I moved there to LA, you know, there are these magical things. And then you just see, and I'm sure it's not like this everywhere, but like at least everything I worked on for the most part, it was like a sad, miserable, angry place that Mm -hmm. just did not spark joy. Did not spark joy. Do do you,
0: do you have any counterexamples? I'm just curious, like, do you do you think there is a way that somebody could go about that with integrity uh, in LA? Or is uh, it almost like, by definition, going to crush your soul?
3: <laughs> I don't have any personal counterexamples. I'm sure they exist. And it definitely, I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like, I think I got the short straw in terms of everyone who I knew seemed to have a, I just got unlucky with everyone I chose. I think maybe there's something about me that makes people want to kind of take advantage of me in a way. It's just in my nature, I suppose, but I just ended up with, it was just after it was right. two, two assistant jobs in a row for two different people who both ended up being the craziest people I ever met. And I don't know if it was me or who was in the city, if it was the city, but I did not want to risk it again. Well, here's a
0: question. I mean, it seems like we're in a more, and I think your film is a prime example of this, we're in a more democratic, if that's a word, or more, um, I think it's like more wide open, but also more, yeah, more like
3: visible kind of,
0: or? yeah, more, more accessible, but also easier to get lost. If that makes sense mm-hmm. or, or, but I, along those lines, I don't think that that traditional Hollywood model is necessarily as, uh, what would you say dominant yeah. as it used to be where You know, if you go there, they might put these pressures on you and put these ideas of, oh, you have to pay your dues. You have to put your time in. This is the only way you're ever going to whatever. But it's almost like I feel like that mindset doesn't have as much weight anymore because you can kind of be like, well, you know, forget about this. I'm going I'll just go do my own thing. And you actually can. Whereas I don't know if mm, I don't know maybe how far back you'd have to go. But there was a certain time where like you just probably wouldn't have been able to go do your own thing.
3: Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. And I think that around the time I started like making my movie, there were a lot of other people, and just in the Brooklyn community, who were doing the same thing and were making very wonderful, even bigger scale movies and have gone on to kind of continue that on even larger scales. And um, like my producer, Ryan, just made his own feature film and he shot it on a, a nice uh, Alexa. And we have other friends who kind of did similar things or even... Um I know that you guys played Shiva Baby, and that, for example, was you know a very small like sorry, I was a small short kind of and then grew into a big feature and then those filmmakers went on to do even kind of bigger things, so there are ways to I think stay true to yourself and make you know make a career out of it but i from my personal experience and what i 've gone through, I have become less interested in making a career out of it and more interested in simply making things that i want to make on the terms that i want to make them and seeing how far that can take me i don't know how far it will but Mm -hmm. for the time Mm -hmm. being that's kind of my what i'm trying to achieve
0: yeah i i wonder with this whole hollywood system if i mean we were in the midst of the the writer strike actor strike it's like clearly things are not in a good place i mean there's been strikes before it's not like this is an unprecedented situation and there's a pandemic and there's a lot of upheaval and unrest but i just feel like the models aren't as sustainable you know everything is shifting very yeah. quickly right now and, yeah and, and I, I wonder go, if. oh go on yeah ahead. no oh i uh i'll just finish off my little thought i think that uh i wonder if there's more of almost like uh they you know they're feeling it slipping through their fingers a little bit and and then it's sort of breeding like more mania and <laughs> intensity and in that yeah more. yeah
3: I, because uh, I, I mean, I'm aware of the strike, and but I, I don't really know the ins and outs terribly, especially because I'm not part of, and I doubt I ever really will be part of the like any kind of union in that capacity. But I, I feel like no matter what happens with something like that, it's. I don't think things will ultimately change that much, and I don't know how the system really can stay sustainable in this like streaming world, and I think a lot of people on all sides are very concerned about it and I from when my entire time after college has been learning that it's not if you want to kind of just make art that's like true and personal it's not about kind of relying on any kind of system no matter what it is to support you because it like when I think about making a movie for money Mm -hmm. like if no one should be, you know, forced to give me money to, you know, no one is gonna, I don't want to have to make a movie that people are going to like in order to make money. And I just simply want to be able to make something that's cheap enough where I can afford to make it because it's fun to make. And then I can present it to people who are interested in seeing it. And if I relied, if my income relied on that, there's no way I could make something that was as true to myself because I would have to try to please more people than would be, I would be able to, uh, with the kind of whatever it is I want to make, if any of that makes sense.
0: It does. It really does. Yeah. The pressure of this has to make money or this has to sell, this has to do whatever it's going to do, that would constantly be at war, at least to some degree, with the the vision of what your with your passion. And it from talking to you and you know, I I think like it's interesting. It feels like people can get consumed with like the whole making it in the system, or, or just checking the boxes, succeeding, and yeah, and then lose that. Yeah. The equation flips into the making sure that you're checking the financial boxes rather than like keeping sight of your creative goals.
3: Yeah, but the weird thing is that when I started making this movie. I wanted to write a character who had those views, who was going to do things her way and not care about what society wanted. Right. And then she follows that and she follows it to the conclusion and is a horrible conclusion, which just subconsciously is where it led me to. So I don't know what kind of you know, psychoanalysis I need for something like that, but it, it <laughs> does not end well for the character who does what I'm preaching. So I don't know how to, what to do about that, but that was kind yeah, of I it... wanted a happy ending originally and it didn't come out that's interesting I
0: yeah I love the ending I don't want to give it away of course but I think there there's different ways to think yeah it was it felt like you could take different um things away from it so I didn't as a viewer I didn't have a cynical time I I felt sort of an affirmation of life even through all of it so well, I don't that's know, good I think there's well, thank you further. okay yeah <laughs> but maybe also on a this could be on a positive note, uh, or or not. We'll see. I'm curious where what your thoughts are gonna be about this. We're talking about the industry. Uh this is a festival podcast in its uh essence. We are, well, at release time, we just completed the 2023 Syndependent Film
3: Festival. Congratulations. Very
0: exciting, thank you. Yeah.
3: Uh <laughs> I bet it was a lot uh, of fun.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was it was amazing. <laughs> uh but I'm so with your film, um, I know that you had a premiere and were nominated for Best Feature at Slam Dance Festival. What was your festival journey like with this movie? Um, and how, yeah, like, what did you expect and, and how did it play out?
3: Yeah, it was a very interesting festival experience. We, When I originally went about making the movie, the goal, the idea was we're going to make this, it's going to go online, and... We're going to post about it, and that's going to be it. It's not going to be for festivals. It's not going to be for anyone. It's just for ourselves. But then when I finished it, I was like, I, I would really like to put this in a festival just just because. And I started submitting to – I submitted to probably 30 festivals, and uh, mm-hmm. I got rejected from every single festival. I got rejected from a mini-DV film festival. I got okay. rejected What's from – What's that festival like? I don't know but they rejected me and uh, I think it's called Mini DV Festival or something like that and uh, I got rejected from the Boca Raton Jewish Film Festival and I'm a Jew from Boca Raton and they didn't want it but uh, so then I (laughs) was going to I submitted to Slam Dance and my producer Ryan told me that's a waste of money you know you're not going to get in don't do it and I was like well I might as well do it anyway just Mm -hmm. I've already submitted everywhere else and then we got very lucky and we got in and it was kind of a It gave the film a second wind. We got Mm -hmm. into several more festivals. We then had a, uh, received a streaming deal with Fandor, which is really great. Mm -hmm. And um, we have been playing at theaters across the country, including in Cincinnati. Uh, So it's been a really crazy journey. And a lot of it was thanks to festival. So, uh, or was thanks to slam dance, sorry, the slam dance festival. And it mm-hmm. was unexpected, and we would have been totally fine if we never got into a single festival. But mm-hmm. it, unfortunately, it was because of COVID, it was a remote thing. It was not in person. Oh, I see. Was this 2021 or 2022? This was January 2022. Was okay. It? Yeah. So it was like the month before it was Omicron or something. had Omicron, through, yeah. So they canceled it. But like by the time Dance would have been around, it was kind of over, but... They still want... So, like, Slamdance and Sundance were both canceled. Right. But the few festivals I got to go to after were extremely fun. And it mm-hmm. really turned me... It was, I had never really been to festivals before. So, I really loved oh, cool. it. It was a great place to... Like, they were great places to meet filmmakers and to get to see your film in a... You know, with a bunch of people who came to see it, uh, who also love movies. Was, there's no better feeling than that. So, yeah. I... We had a very interesting, kind of unique festival experience that we got lucky, very lucky with. And I hope if I make another, I'll definitely be submitting to plenty of places again, just because it was such an exciting time.
0: Yeah. Well, keeps independent in mind. Yes, um, I will for sure. Yeah, having just gone through a submission and acceptance process with the festival, um, I'd love to just get into that a little bit more with with these festivals that you didn't get accepted to. Were they responding to you? Was there communication or was it kind of just like a blanket?
3: No, it was always no, it... a blanket. I always pretty much always cold emailed or not cold emailed, sorry, cold submitted. Yeah. Like even Slam Dance, it was just a submission and there was no kind of like email about like, hey, this is my movie, just a film freeway submission. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But then after uh, Slam Dance, we were invited by some festivals to apply and they still rejected us, but it was always kind of a blanket interesting Uh, yeah rejection okay and with
0: slam dance did you know anything until the day of the announcement or did you just find out that you'd been accepted yeah we
3: found out beforehand they had actually um so i i it was so unexpected that the guy i got a phone call to tell me i was in and the guy was british who had called me and the first thing he said when i said hello he said like is this justin and i said yes and he's like congrats you won a free boat which I think okay. he thought was funny, but he then told me, never mind, you got in the slam dance. And I assumed it was a prank the entire time and that none of this was true. And Interesting. I thought I, it was like a scam call. And it wasn't until I got an email a little late, a few days later, that I realized it was actually not a prank and I'd got him in. Oh, and it that's weird. funny. Yeah. It was no. funny, but it was, yeah, I would not recommend doing that to uh submittees.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a cruel, like.
3: Yeah. He was uh, just trying to be fun, but it was. Yeah, like,
0: yeah. When the power dynamics there don't really. <laughs> Aren't fun for everyone involved, I don't think. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And I do respect the the phone call approach, though, you know, the personal touch. Um, yeah, I really
3: appreciate it. it. That was the, we've got into a few places, and that was okay. the only one that I've received a, a phone call for. So it was right. very nice. Yeah. Okay. They're doing something right. Uh,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. About, of course, we were out of commission. We had events going on um, and we had a mobile cinema. We weren't driving around. The city. Oh, that's cool. We went outdoor screenings during the pandemic, but mm-hmm. um, can definitely relate to the whole virtual, you know, uh, odd um, yeah. time. That, that, what that was we cool
3: about that. the virtual though was um, so many more people were able to see the film as opposed to it being just whoever goes to Utah for that festival, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. And Letterboxed also was kind of our only gauge of like what people thought of it because you can't right. be in- with people so it was very lucky to have letterboxd and you know i was that week i was just constantly updating the apps If the someone else watch it what do they think Do they like it yeah uh, which almost became a little probably unhealthy but it was <laughs> a cool way to interact
0: yeah people. and and i mean yeah i love letterboxd for that reason the community that's there and you know for me it was a great way for me to to dig into to your film and then get some perspective on it and, and also see some of the offshoots that you're talking about, like um, pulled up your producer um, Ryan's Mm -hmm. film free time, which I'm not very interested to see uh, starring Colin Burgess who had a small role, but memorable role in your film. Um, So that's what Letterboxd is for. I think you're, you're just going down little uh, rabbit holes
3: yeah, I think that it can become all it's becoming like other social media where it can become toxic now, weirdly enough. But I think that you can use it for a good way to learn about. I've learned about a few movies just from seeing people's reviews, I guess, on my homepage. And it's been a really exciting, cool thing. Yeah. what What's a toxic letterbox experience that you've had? I think it's just like you can see through comment threads, just people kind of arguing. People, mm-hmm. I feel, will identify with the movie. And that movie, if you were to not like that movie, someone might assume you don't like them. And then they will become very protective of it. And um, I don't have any yeah. specific examples, but I will just see reviews that I would consider aggressive and angry towards individuals as opposed to kind of like merit-based reviews of the film.
0: Oh, and yeah. These yeah. Movies. Okay. Well, it's almost
3: like some of the Facebook thread arguments have migrated yeah, to Butterbox. Yeah, those kinds of flame war kind of things, I feel like they've yeah. seeped into letterboxed and uh it can be intense. No. I um I've had uh like
0: six year debate, I don't know how long it's been going about the last Jedi with mm-hmm. um someone who used to be a good friend. I know <laughs> we're we are still good friends, but uh okay. but it can be very incendiary uh with yeah, the flame war that you're talking about. And then
3: probably even more so if you're having it with strangers. Um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the gloves come off a little bit more. Yeah, but we've been very lucky in Letterboxd with our movie. It's the very few kind of negative reviews, and most yeah. of the negative reviews are ones that I I don't take. That we can personally. write off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, most of them, they're wrong, so it's fine. Yeah, the
0: the negative Yeah, they're wrong.
3: Or yeah. but it is fun when you read
0: those and you're like, oh, they didn't understand what was happening. Yeah, I don't know. They, yeah,
3: the most the negative reviews tend to be. Like I don't understand why they shot this on mini DV. Why didn't they just do it? You could do this on an iPhone and it would look better. Yeah, could, they could just get like, a freaky
0: mistake. This guy yeah. doesn't know there's new technology available.
3: Exactly. And so when I see that, I just I yeah. tell, I understand or I, I see it as like this is just a movie that was not for you, and that's fine. But it's like not uh that's not something I take personally because there's nothing I can do about that and There's nothing I would want to change about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I had one other question about the festival experience that with our festival and, um, I think with young filmmakers in general, people who are getting their films out there, the question of distribution is a big one. And it's, you know, it's one thing to premiere your film at a festival or multiple festivals and and have that great kind of surge of community connections, all the great things that we love about festivals. But then distribution is you know it's a whole new life for the film um how did that come together how did that play out for you to to get your deal with um fan is
3: it pandor pandor yep Mm -hmm. yeah it was very interesting we uh submitted our film kind of like emailed it to a few people and they either didn't respond or like it's not for us which we never we never expected to get into a film festival and we definitely never expected any kind of distribution but we figured we might as well try to see how far we could take this thing Mm -hmm. and We emailed this guy, Aaron Hillis, who um, he actually helped distribute a lot of the early Mumblecore films and Mm -hmm. is tight with a lot of those filmmakers. And he helps program the Kukaloris Film Festival. Mm -hmm. So we emailed him and asked if he thought it would be a good fit for that festival. And he was like, yes. But also, I recently started working as a programmer at streaming service Fandor And I saw your movie at Slamdance and I really liked it. Could we talk about acquiring it? And then through that, we kind of kept talking and they ended up acquiring our movie and they've been very kind and helpful. And it's been a very cool experience. And now even Ryan uh, with his movie, he ended up uh, with a distribution deal at um, cartilage films, which is kind of like a, a more of a boutique like run by kind of one very talented guy who uh, distributes, but it's, crazy for us that we make these very small movies and they're getting any kind of distribution is I think that we are in a very kind uh, and accessible landscape in that sense. Yeah. Normally it seems like you have to get into a festival for that, but I don't think that's necessarily true. Right. It's a,
0: I would feel like
3: maybe just the odds,
0: just in terms of probability of you will have a better chance. There is a more clustered group of people who might have connections to something at a festival than there would be in day-to-day life. It's a little more dispersed. But it, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it could happen anywhere at any time.
3: Yeah. But it does seem like uh, all the films that kind of screen, the narrative feature that screened with us at Slamdance all seem to get distribution, including the uh, Slamdance Grand Jury Award winner, Hannah Haha, which also is at yeah. Fandor with us. And they're very cool guys, too. And we became friends with them and other, the other New York Slamdance people as well. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then... How about the theatrical
0: side as we approach our, our screening this evening at the Woodward? Was that a part of the distribution with Fandor or did that come about separately that you've now had this theatrical run?
3: Yeah, that came about totally separately with Fandor. It was so Fandor kind of owns our movies within North America. They own the movie, but they really just they released it on streaming. And Ryan, the producer, is the movies I guess biggest fan and it's so for whatever reason he's so motivated to screen this across the country and get it in as many micro cinemas and as independent art house places as possible Mm -hmm. so he has been it's he's been a one-man band of emailing like I am constantly getting emails from him being like okay you're now getting uh you know you're now playing in Cincinnati and you're now playing in Mm -hmm. Kansas City and recently he was like how do you feel about South Africa would you want to go there or screen there so and now he actually uh we're we're streaming now in England actually and trying to look into theaters there as well. So that's all Ryan and uh Fandor is kind enough to because they own the rights, they're kind enough to let us take the lead on that. Yeah. Screen. That's cool. Well that's
0: inspiring too, to be I mean, it's it's just grit it's perseverance and determination and making things happen. And yeah. definitely shout out Ryan. He's been awesome to work with and uh and a very solid turn is um, Shifty Boyfriend.
3: <laughs> yeah, as Eric, the uh, creepy kind of boyfriend. Or maybe yeah, not creepy, yeah. but yeah, Shifty, for sure. Yes, very good yeah. at that kind of character. Not he like that in real life something. at all, though. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I No, I, as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh, no. Uh, you know, it, it kind of shifted my perception. But no, this, the man has range.
3: Yeah, he's uh he, yeah. uh he doesn't act a lot, but he's very talented. He actually had a small role as well in the movie. You were never really here with Joaquin Phoenix. Really? I love that uh, movie. Yeah, he gets choked out by Joaquin in a scene. He's actually in the trailer, so if you watch the trailer, you'll see the opening is Ryan getting choked, and uh, he's an extremely talented actor. And I hope he continues it. I mean, that's a great place to that's a great calling card. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'll, we should link the trailer for uh, you were never really here for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Justin, it's been great uh, chatting with you. I um, think you, yeah, a lot thank for- you, Johnny for taking the time to uh, talk with us today and um, everyone listening. Hope to see you this evening at the Woodward for yelling fire in an empty theater. I feel like there's so much um, I'm looking forward to screening the movie and then the conversation afterwards, because there's so much uh, to dig into and I'm, I'm happy that more people are seeing it.
3: Yeah, me too. Thank, I mean, thank you so much for, you know, having me on your podcast and for, uh, you know, playing us at the Woodward. It's really wonderful and we're very appreciative yeah well thank you
0: yeah and we'll be excited do you have anything in the works right now coming or uh, wh- what's your thoughts about um, the future right now
3: yeah I am running some ideas by my trusty producer Ryan of uh, things I might want to follow up this film with and uh, there's very good chance it'll be on mini DV again so it'll uh, have a similar style to that yes. um, and I'll see how far uh, how far it goes and if we can actually make it or not i have to uh i've got a treatment cool. going and hopefully i have a script soon cool yeah well we'll look forward to that and uh
0: you'll be welcome in cincinnati anytime i i don't think it uh, the logistics are probably such that it won't work out this time but we'd love to have you out here anytime uh, well, thank you i
1: appreciate that
0: yeah all right well thank you again for coming on you too
3: have yeah. a good day you too
0: So much to Justin. Thank you to Bretton and TJ. I'm still kind of in the afterglow of the festival processing that it really happened, and I'm so grateful for how everything came together. I think we're going to take, we're going to slow down the podcast a little bit um, going forward, kind of take a little time to recuperate. Um, so I think the next episode is going to come up in two weeks, but it's been an incredible journey so far this year. Uh, I hope to see everyone at the Woodward tonight. Yelling Fire in an Empty Theater is truly a beautiful film, and I can't wait to share it. And I'm just really excited for the future of film in Cincinnati, I think, really really good things are in the works and i'm just so thankful for um the experience that uh that we all got to share this weekend so thank you all again and we'll see you at the movies